Our final scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verse 1 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the leaven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and, and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping in, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. I mean, you may be seated. Pray with me. Holy God, as we come to these amazing truths this morning, may we not be a people who look for the living among the dead, but may we marvel at this wondrous news, stir our hearts to believe these truths that you have indeed conquered the grave. Give us new eyes to see, ears to hear by the power of your spirit working in us in and through your word this morning. Help us to have hope. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. And so for those of you who are unaware, we're in the middle or at the tail end of, of what's known as March Madness, which is this crazy couple weeks of basketball. And whether or not you're a sports fan or not, uh, people tend to like this tournament because anything can happen. It doesn't matter how good you are, you can lose. It doesn't matter how bad you are, you can actually win because it's just one game. And it's, it's why it's called March Madness because it's, it's mad what happens. And you know, one of the larger ups, upsets that happened this year was you know, Abilene Christian University, which has under 4,000 students, uh, not supposed to be very good, lucky to make the tournament, ended up beating the University of Texas, which has 40,000 students. To say this was a David versus Goliath moment is probably an, an understatement. And like I said, even whether or not you like sports or not, you know that good teams win and bad teams lose. That's kind of a universal truth. And, and yet here we had this big upset. And as they pull off this upset in dramatic fashion, as a final horn blows, the play-by-play announcer, Lisa Bington, screams out, believe the unbelievable. You know, the only people who would have thought that that Abilene Christian could win would have been the moms of the players, right? This wasn't supposed to happen. It was truly unbelievable. But as unbelievable as that moment happened, I mean, there's upsets all the time in these tournaments. That's 
That's why, again, they call it March Madness. That's why we watch, because we want to see the underdog win. But, But despite all this, one place that has never been upset is the place of the dead. One place that is undefeated in this world is death. Death does not easily loosen its grips on people. We don't see people rise from the dead. This is not a normal thing. And even Lazarus, if you don't know the story of Lazarus, Lazarus is this, one of the disciples of Jesus who he rose from the dead. And, but even Lazarus had to die again. Even Lazarus returned to the grave. And yet in our passage this morning, in this Gospel of Luke, we find something that shouldn't be. We find a surprise. Jesus is missing from the tomb. Could it be that he has risen? Could it be that he is actually alive? That he's defeated the undefeated? Could it be? And maybe you're here this morning and you're even asking the question, could this actually be true? Could Jesus actually have risen from the dead? Well, as we walk into this story as presented in Luke this morning, I think we're going to hear that question ring out in the minds of the disciples and the apostles. You know, think about them for a moment. After Friday, Saturday, they would have probably been in the temple, Sabbath, worship, and then Sunday morning, the first day of the week, they would have been devastated, right? They would have been crushed. The one that they were following, the one that they thought was the Lord is dead, Maybe they even thought that they had wasted the last few years of their lives following this man. He was supposed to be the chosen one. He was supposed to destroy the powers of darkness. And now he was destroyed by the powers he came to undo. How could this be? Their hope and the mission of Christ had been crushed. Perhaps we have a similar problem. right? Where our hope has limits to it. Where we can find being hopeful only to what we think is possible. Where we struggle to believe the unbelievable. We struggle to believe things that we can't imagine. We look for the living among the dead. We imagine Jesus and we think of who he was in these stories more than we remember who he is right now. Because he still is right now. Alive. Seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Praying for us. Praying for you. Encouraging you. Sending his spirit to comfort you. Jesus is not in the tomb. He is alive. And because of this truth, our hope should persevere even in the face of hopelessness. And hopelessness should now be the thing that's unbelievable for us because Jesus has conquered the grave. There's no greater event in history than this moment. All history hinges on whether or not this is true, the undoing of death, the hope of the resurrection, and with it the redemption of not just Jesus but all creation. The the decay cycle being reversed, the bars of death being weakened, waiting for the day when it will be emptied out completely. Well, there will be no more weeping over loved ones, no more diseases, no more MRIs, no more pandemics, when this will all be done. So much so that we won't even remember those days. And as we encounter the surprise of the resurrection, as Luke tells it, I think we're going to see ourselves and the disciples and the apostles. And in this, my hope is that we have our gazes drawn up that we can too believe. And there's three surprises we're going to find this morning in this text. The first is this, the surprise of an empty tomb. The surprise of an empty tomb. As our text opens up, what we find is that the followers of Christ, 
have come to the tomb. They don't come expecting to meet the risen Savior, but they come to anoint him and to pay respects to the dead. We see this in verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking spices that they had prepared. Right? They had brought spices and perfumes to anoint Jesus. Right? This was a custom of paying respects to the dead, honoring the dead. They expected Jesus to actually be there, laying down there. This is also part of the grieving process. You know, when grieving, it can be hard to accept the reality of a situation. And so for them, spending time with Jesus' body would help them come to grips with what had happened. Rubbing his body with perfumes was a way to, to mourn him, to, to accept what had happened, to respect him. And especially for them, the death of Christ would have come out of nowhere. They did not expect this to happen. And now here on the first day of the week, on a Sunday morning, the day after their Sabbath, they come to mourn, to honor, to respect. They expect to find Jesus lying there. And in verse 2, things start to get a little interesting, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. You know, at this point, you know, maybe at best they thought, oh, someone knew we were coming to the tomb, so maybe they, they were really helpful, and they un- unrolled the, the, the stone away from the tomb. Great, thank you for doing that for us. And then things get really interesting when they go into the tomb. Verse 3, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, they went in and Jesus wasn't there. And it says they were perplexed. It's probably the understatement of the year. Imagine what had been going through their minds. Did someone steal him? Is there grave robbers? Did the Roman soldiers take him out? Is, someone's, is this someone's cruel joke? Don't you know we're mourning? Where is he? Where did they take him? Jesus is not where he's supposed to be. I remember one day I went to go get milk out of the fridge only to find a box of cereal sitting there. When I first saw this, I too was perplexed at this. You know, whenever you see something that's not supposed to be, it takes your mind a little bit to kind of catch up to what you're actually seeing. Something was out of place. And then it hit me. If the cereal's in the fridge, where is the milk? Well, of course, it was actually in the cabinet where the cereal was supposed to be and the milk was very, uh, had gone bad and it smelled funny. Jesus is supposed to be in the tomb. He is supposed to be among the dead. So if he isn't among the dead, where could he be? Could it mean, could it mean that he's actually among the living? If he isn't here, could it mean that he is alive? This is the first surprise we see on this morning, is the tomb is empty. They didn't expect it. They didn't believe yet that this could happen. And they started to wonder, could it mean that he's among the living? I think many of us likely struggle with this. We see an empty tomb, and and it's easy for us to come up with any explanation possible. We are ready to believe anything that could have happened before we believe that Jesus might have actually risen from the dead. For many of us, it's for scientific reasons, right? Uh, you don't have to be a, a good scientist and let dead people don't rise from the dead. But for many of us, I think it's actually because hope can be a burdening, burdensome thing, can't it? Right? Hope is dangerous because if we hope and it isn't true, where does that leave us? 
leaves us devastated. And so for us, we tend to hold back on hope. Even in the face of an empty tomb, much like these women that that don't yet believe, they don't yet hope, we hold back our hope. And as these questions and as this kind of is likely swirling to the minds of these women, as you know, like you've ever had those moments where it's like 30 seconds, but in, but in your mind, it's like an hour has gone by. They have a million questions rolling through their minds, wondering what is happening. And as this is happening, we find the second surprise here this morning. The first surprise is this empty tomb, and the second surprise is this, remembered words. The surprise of remembered words. And this surprise is set up by the answer of this question, could it be well, while it's answered with an emphatic, yes, it could be. Verse 4 through 7, we see this unfold. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful man and be crucified and on the third day rise? So here in this moment we have these angels coming to testify to this truth that Jesus has risen, that he's conquered the grave, that he's no longer among the dead, he's no longer held by the chains of death. He was actually delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified so that he could rise, so that he could conquer death. He is no longer among the dead. He is among the living. And in verse 8, we, we actually see the surprise of this truth for them, of what is being said of the resurrection. It's finally hitting home. In their confusion, they're finally, in their fear of the angels, their foggy minds are finally being cleared up. And they remember, in verse 8, we see this, and they remembered his words. They remembered his words. They had a rush of understanding in this moment. They had been with Jesus For most of his ministry, they had heard everything that he had said, and they clearly loved him as evidence of them coming to attend to his body. And yet they had missed this vital truth until now in this moment. Until this moment, they didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. When he said, when he talked to them about the things of his death, we actually find this a few chapters earlier in Luke 18, before Jesus comes into Jerusalem. He says this, see, we are going into Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. And they did not grasp what was said. So Jesus had been telling the disciples that this was going to happen for a while, but they they didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. It was veiled to them until now. Until now, the veil was lifted, the surprise of the resurrection now being revealed to them by these words. This was one of those things that they had to actually experience before they could really understand it. It was too unbelievable. It was too outside their imaginations for them to get it. Dead people don't come back to life. They had to experience it to understand it. For instance, there's this museum in St. Louis called the City Museum. If I tried to describe this museum to you, uh, you would have no idea what I was talking about. 
it would sound absolutely insane. Uh, and you wouldn't be able to imagine it because I would say things to you about this museum that, you know, there's this giant thing that you climb up and then there's this rebar over here and you climb up this other thing and then you, you're on this other level and then you take this slide down to this other level and then you crawl through a plane and then you take another slide down and then you're in the basement and it just sounds kind of insane. Uh, although if you've been there, you actually know exactly what I'm talking about and I think that at least a couple of you in this room have actually been there. You know what I mean when I'm talking about the city museum in St. Louis. It's impossible to describe. It is something that you actually have to experience for yourself. It's something that you have to discover for yourself. The resurrection is actually much the same. It's one thing to hear Jesus talk about it. It's another thing to discover it for yourself. We often find when we come face to face with the resurrection, it's actually a surprise for us. In fact, the great C.S. Lewis talks about his conversion in this way and surprised by joy, he talks about his conversion that one day he walked onto a bus and he didn't believe and then he walked off the bus and he did. He'd experienced, he'd encountered Christ. All of a sudden the veil was removed and it made sense. Could it be that he is risen? They were surprised by this truth that he indeed is risen, that he is not there, that everything that he said about himself has happened. Do not look for the living among the dead because Jesus isn't among the dead. He is alive. Perhaps even for you, the resurrection of Jesus is a stumbling block. Perhaps it seems impossible, improbable, dead people don't rise. Well, I can tell you that you're actually not alone in your questioning. Because it was actually a stumbling block for the 11 apostles too, the ones that knew Jesus the most. They didn't believe it yet either. They reacted to this news much like you might be. And here in the final act, we find our our last surprise. And it's this, the surprise of hope. The surprise of hope. Look with me again here at verse 9 through 10. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the leaven and and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and, and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. And so we have a bunch of the disciples of Jesus along with the apostles gathered into a room, probably trying to figure out what do we do now. And these women come and share this incredible news to them. They're trying to bear witness to the things that they've seen and heard. And how do the disciples respond? Verse 11, but these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. Even the apostles and disciples that have been with him in his life They couldn't believe what they were hearing. They were in mourning. They couldn't believe that this was true. It was too good to be true. It wasn't because they didn't trust these women. These women would have been around them a lot. And one of them is the mother of James. They trusted these women. They were trusted sources. It wasn't that. It was just that this news seemed too far-fetched. Too good to be true. An idle tale. Maybe in their grief... They imagined something that wasn't really there when they visited the tomb. This can't, this can't be. They hadn't let themselves hope. Right, a couple days removed from his death, and they're probably just coming to grips with it. And now this, now you're bringing us this story? But Peter, we find here right after in verse 12. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. 
Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This suggests to us that maybe Peter didn't think that what he was hearing was an idle tale. Right, The last time we actually heard about Peter in this gospel was he was denying even knowing Jesus. He's probably feeling a bit guilty, probably being eaten up inside, broken. And at the mention of hope that Jesus might actually be alive, he runs to see it for himself. He runs to meet him. One of the things this tells us is that hope demands action from us. And for Peter, this meant running to the tomb. And there, what do we find? He find that he sees the linen cloths all by themselves, which might seem odd. But the point is that Jesus was supposed to be wrapped in these linen cloths. And there they were, folded left there and Jesus is not with them anymore he is missing and it says that he went home marveling Peter was in wonder he was in awe could it be could it be that Jesus was actually alive and when he woke up that morning you know Peter must have been in despair and he goes from the state of despair over having lost a loved one the Lord his master to something surprising swelling up in him. Hope. Right? Hope that he might be alive. Hope that he conquered the grave. Hope that the mission is not lost. Jesus is no longer among the dead, but among the living. Jesus is no longer in the grave. He is alive. As surprising as this truth is, the angels testify to this. The woman testified to this. And God's word testifies to this. And last, the empty tomb testifies to this truth that the impossible has happened. The grave has been defeated. But isn't this how we experience hope in our own lives? That through times of trial, through times of pruning, through times of pain, hope comes. And hope doesn't come in spite of these things, but actually because of these things. Right? Our orchards don't produce an abundance of fruit despite pruning, but because of pruning. Jesus couldn't destroy the powers of death unless he put himself under them. He couldn't rise from the dead until he first died. And the amazing truth is that because of his defeat of death, you too, in this room, defeat death if you have faith in him. Because Jesus didn't rise and then live to an old age only to die again. But Jesus is still alive right now in this moment. Still king, still ruling, still seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, waiting for the day where, where, we, where he will come again and make all things new. And he says that all that is his is yours. His life is your life. But you might object, how can we have this kind of hope amidst so much suffering in our day and age? How can you say this when people are still dying, Craig? You know, our, our house in West Valley happens to be on the route that a funeral procession drives by to get to a cemetery out in West Valley. And since we've lived there, I think we've probably seen six or seven funeral processions go by the house. And what happens is, you know, the, the cop cars come ahead and they come and they block off the intersection of Titan and 96. And then you see a hearse leading the way with the loved one in a casket. And you see the trail of cars coming, following them, escorting the person to the cemetery. And we see death, and we, we see it everywhere. And just a few days ago, I saw one of these processions happening. We see this, and we think, well, death isn't defeated. Are you crazy? 
We're still putting our loved ones in the grave. How can you say that there's no sting in death? I feel that sting. I can say this. I can believe this. I can stare down at the grave with hope because death couldn't hold Jesus. And for all who are united to him, death won't hold you either. It may take you for a moment, but it is not your end. Your end is life eternal because Christ has tasted the fullness of death for you. Our future is on an earth that has no more disease, no more death, no more dying, when every miscarried child will be finally be in their home, where every death will be undone, where every disease will be overturned, every harm will be reversed. You know the amazing thing? You won't even remember it anymore. All you will remember are the words of Christ reverberating through your life, through all eternity. Death was defeated through a death. This is the surprise of surprises. The death was defeated through death. May we be a people who believe in miracles this Easter. May we let ourselves be surprised by hope. And this isn't trite optimism. We don't ignore the pains of life but we hope our hope is beyond them because our hope in the resurrection is more real than death. Death is the thing that's actually temporary. The resurrection is that which is eternal. So let us not be a people who look for Jesus among the dead. He isn't there. Let us believe, let us take heart that the last enemy is defeated, the battle has been won. May we believe and live lives of hope in this great truth. Amen. Pray with me. Holy, merciful Father, what an incredible truth that death has been defeated, that we need not fear it, and even though we still struggle and live in a world that there is dying, that there is death, that there is famine, that there is disease, this doesn't win the day, but you have. Help us to have a hope that believes the unbelievable. Help us to believe even things we can't see because we know who you are. Help us to encounter your truth. That you are not in the grave because you are among the living. Even right now, hearing our prayers. Open our eyes to believe. Stir our hearts to follow you with every breath that we have. In the name of Christ, I pray, amen.